Glory to God. There you are. Hey, how's everyone doing today? Glad to be here. Glad to be worshiping God. I love that song, Available. That is the anthem of this series. We just want to be available. Amen, everyone. We are in part three of the Harvest series. And before I get into that, we are three weeks away from Easter, everyone. Easter. It's like already happening. It's like 2020 lasted six years. 2021 lasted about six months. And now, like, here we are, 2022, and it's already Easter time. We drove uh, by the road we take to church. There's a a house out front that decorates for every season, and uh, already they have Easter eggs, you know, dripping from the trees, and big Easter, you know, very colorful Easter, big Easter eggs out in the yard, and, and you know, people, people see Easter differently. For us, we see it as a time that Jesus Christ gave his life, died, uh, was buried, rose again on the third day, and it's a celebration, Amen. So we're excited about Easter. In fact, every year around Easter, we take this as an opportunity. This is when we do spring cleaning, is right right before our Easter service. And I know a few weeks ago, I had a show of hands of some people who could just help us do, you know, some spring cleaning, uh, maybe even some light touch-up painting, painting actual whole walls. Um, And I got about 15 people to say, yeah, I'm in. Well, the time between I did that and the time that we actually scheduled something, um, some of those people kind of fell off and are not able to do that. And so so tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, we're painting some walls, everybody. And so if you can paint, and I'm not talking about paint trees on a canvas, that works. If you can do that, for sure, that works. But, like, you can just put some paint on some wall Uh, then we need you um, tomorrow night at 6. And so I'm looking for people who have painting skills. Just put your hand up real quick. Hands up real quick. Right there. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I need all you guys to show up tomorrow night at 6, all right? Bring your favorite paintbrush. Uh, Everybody, the real painters have their own favorite paintbrush. You know, they don't let it get too painty. They've got a little wire brush. They keep it combed, keep it in the little sack thing, cardboard thing that it comes in. Like, you can spot the true painters. That's the way they treat their paintbrushes. Everybody else just kind of throws them in the shelf. But whether you're... Whoever you are, whether you throw your, your, you know, your paintbrush on the shelf or you put it back in the cardboard, we need you tomorrow night, 6 o'clock. We want to make your place church pop this Easter. And so we're looking for some help tomorrow night, so I, I look forward to seeing you guys there. Um, this is part three of the Harvest Series. You guys know this, that good seed in good soil always, always, always produces a harvest, Right? You've heard me talk about our Japanese maple tree that we had at our old house. And it seemed like every, every springtime or so, going into summer, there would be these little Japanese you know, shoots popping up in our, in our flower bed where the, where the tree was planted. And that's because a good, a good seed in good soil always, always, always produces a harvest. Have you, have you seen the little helicopter seeds that fly around? My kids love those. We would pick them up and throw them up in the air, and they'd flutter around. And if you, catch, if you catch it just right on a windy day in Oklahoma, you'll see, like, hundreds of them flying through the air. And so it, it's fun. It's like little bitty helicopters or little bitty drones. You know, they've got those little bitty drones now, right? Just all fluttering around. Well, what are they, what are they doing? They're reproducing themselves. Those, those healthy trees are reproducing more healthy trees because that's what healthy things do. They reproduce. And YPC has always been a reaching church. We've always been a church that wasn't just interested in just us four and no more. We always had our doors open. We've always been a church that goes running into our community. We've always been one that's very welcoming. In fact, we we pride, for lack of a better word, we pride on ourselves for being one of the least judgmental places you'll walk into. How many are thankful for that? Amen? Listen, we all have a past, including Pastor Darian. We all have a past. And so we don't look down at anybody who walks through these doors. We're happy you're here. Come on, can we celebrate Jesus about that? Amen? We've always been a go church. Everyone's welcome at your place, church. And we hope you feel love. And we hope that you feel accepted. And so week one of this series, I read you a scripture in in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, where it says, Jesus 
went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. But look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he turns to his disciples and he tells them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When he saw the crowds, he likened the crowds of people to the harvest. And I think the one thing that this scripture is noting is it's never really been a a, a harvest issue. There's people out there right now who need Jesus right now. They need a relationship. In fact, if they died right now, heaven forbid, they would bust hell wide open. They would hit it so hard. Are you with me, friends? And we have, a, we have understanding. We have information. We have a relationship that will help them. It's never been a harvest issue. It's always been a worker issue. In Mays County in 2019, um, the census said we had roughly around 41,259 people living within a 10-mile radius of this, of this very spot. 20,000 of them show no affiliation with church, with God, with a religion whatsoever. Those are the ones I'm talking about. We're not after other Christians from other churches. Are you with me, friends? You know, people are all the time, they're like, man, if I could just get this couple to leave their church and come to our church. I'm like, stop. Stop. You don't have to take other Christians. Yeah, but the word here is so great. We need each other to get the job done. Amen, everyone. There are things happening over at North Star. They're doing things that they're, they're reaching people that we can never reach. Things happening over at Extreme, things happening in Exciting Southeast. There are, there are churches in our community that are reaching people that we'll never be able to reach. And we need each other. But, but, but the problem is, we're not going after the ones who are unreached. We're going after people who are already reached. They already have a relationship with Jesus. That's not our target audience, friends. We're after lost people who need a relationship with Jesus. Jesus saw the crowds. I talked about week one, the difference um, uh, that my aunt, my aunt's perspective of gardening and my grandma's perspective of gardening. My aunt loved the idea of gardening. She just didn't like the work that went into gardening, right? She, She loved the idea. She loved to see the corn stalks out there blowing in the wind and all that okra, rows and rows and rows and rows of okra. But she made me and my cousin go out and harvest it, right? Whereas my grandma had an orchard in her front yard and a massive garden in her backyard. And every morning she was almost giddy with anticipation to grab her little buckets and run out into the gardens. And she got so excited when she would pick cucumbers and she'd be like, look at there, look at there. That's a beauty, isn't it? Right? What is it? It's the attitude of the harvester. And we talked about that on week one. It's all about the attitude of the harvester. We read the story of Jonah. He was disappointed that God told him to go to a, a, a country or, or a nation where, you know, he didn't think the people deserved to have a relationship with God. He didn't think they deserved it. And with some persuasion, three days in the belly of a well, he decided to change his mind, right? But he went reluctantly, and we saw how that ended up. Nineveh was saved, glory to God, but Jonah's own life, like the story just stopped. It's almost as if, you know, there's no period, there was no comma, there was no exclamation point. It was almost as if God just stopped talking about it. And we moved on to the next book in the Bible. And I don't want that to be the story of us. I want want us to fall in love with people because Jesus loves people. Amen, everyone? And then last week, Pastor Taylor showed up and started talking about how really the harvest starts with us. Revival starts with us. Come on, wasn't last week's message incredible? Can we give it up for the next generation communicators around here? I love it. He read that scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Basically, here am I. 
I am, I'm not about to let his grace go wasted. And I had so many people comment to me, we're not even in town, we're out of state, and people are sending messages to us, oh my gosh, Taylor's message today was, oh my gosh, just absolutely incredible. Yeah, when you find out about the goodness of God, it changes you. And then I guess Nathan led prayer last Wednesday night, basically could have given an altar call. We had Christians getting saved all over again. Amen. It was just a powerful, powerful week of ministry here at Your Place Church. Well, I want to go a little bit different direction, same topic about reaching people, but I'm going to look at it from a different perspective. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your love. <clears throat> Father, we're thankful for what you're doing in the hearts and the, and the lives of the people of your place, church. And Lord, we realize that we're on mission as a community of believers. Father, this has never been a church where we just come in, sit down, and leave and not allow you or your word to affect our lives in some way. Father, with everything that you've asked us to do, there is a step, there is an action, there is a decision that needs to be made. And Father, we are those that make that decision. We take those steps. We, we are people of action. Father, we don't want to just be hearers only. We want to be doers of your word. Father, that's why we exist, to reach, connect, and equip people to live this way. It changes us. So, Father, as we essentially close this series this week, Father, I, I thank you that you just wrap this series up and put a bow on it, Lord. Lord, I thank you that there is something inside of all of us that compels us to be good seed in good ground, producing a good harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, <clears throat> Taylor said it uh, last week uh, before his Daisy Dukes comments. <clears throat> they're just getting me back for all the stories I've told on them through their life. That's, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. But he told you guys last week that Tyra and I celebrated 29 years of marriage. Sorry, sorry. Thank you. Amen. Our, her parents, 52, 56 years of of marriage uh, on the front row here, so we both celebrate the same day. And so we had a, we had a great time. Um, we drove to Branson, hung out for a few days. And um, I'll never forget the first time I saw her up close and personal. 16 years old, driving my little hot rod Mustang around my neighborhood. And uh, she lived around the corner from me, and I, I drove by, and she was out there washing her little buggy one day, her and her friend. And I mean, it was, you know, it probably didn't look like this, but let me tell you what I saw. I saw, you know, a really, really cute girl, you know, with her hair, you know, taking the sponge, slap, you know, like that's what I saw at 16 years old. Your, your emotions and, and feelings have a tendency to embellish some things. But anyway, she's out there. She's, she's washing this car. And, of course, I, I'm, I know how to wash a car. And so it, it took every bit of confidence that I had to pull that thing over and jump out and just help her wash that car. Smooth, right? Smooth, smooth. But she has this smile that is intoxicating. And I've never, um, I never saw or, or really appreciated it until that day. Back then, we had, remember, you know, the 80s and into the 90s, we had these bangs that did this, right? Remember that? We would get like a whole can of Aquanet. I say we. I did not do this. But the girls, I mean, a whole can of Aquanet, right? We'd and then blow dry them up there, right? Well, by the 90s, we allowed those things to kind of drop and fall in, our, in, you know, in her face. And so Tyra had these, these bangs that fell in her face. And when she talked to me, she'd have to, she'd have to kind of move these bangs out of, her, out of her eyes and just look at me so, so, so she could talk to me. I lost all my fine motor skills. You know what I mean in that moment? Hi, my name's Darian. You know what I mean? I am just, like, she was way, way out of my league. And I'll never, I mean, I'll never forget that, I mean, we spent hours talking on the phone. Back then it was a, you know, a corded phone. 
Um, we would spend hours talking on the phone, and, and I, I couldn't even tell you what we talked about, I, but I could tell you exactly how I felt. I was caught in this wash of emotions, this wash of feeling. I felt like I was in love. And I can honestly tell you that 29 years later, what I feel today is, is nothing compared to, you know, what I felt back then. Like, it's so much more deeper now. Like, I thought I was in love 29 years ago. But 29 years have passed, actually 34 from that wash the buggy moment. Um, 34 years have passed, and now I'm in love. And see, people define love differently. They define love differently. In fact, we try to counsel young people all the time and tell them, what you're feeling right now, young person, what, what you're feeling right now, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16, 18-year-old, all right, what you're feeling right now is this wash of, of affection, right? It's a, it's a wash of emotions, and it feels good, but it's not love. And, you know, we, we try to tell them what love is, and I mean, you, you, you know, you'll, they'll be, hey, you can get it, like, you, just hang in there, and you'll experience it. And, and most teenagers, not all of them, but most of them just will nod at you and ever so softly just plug their ears, right? And just nod and nod and nod and nod and nod because they don't want to hear that because what they feel feels so real to them. But it's different. You, you have to go through some things to understand what love is. You have to experience things to understand what love is. Love is... It's complicated. It's, you know, what is love? When we ask the question, what is love? It's, it's a complicated question. Most of the time when we, you know, see the word love, it's used to describe, you know, deep feelings of affection. Love, by definition, is passive. It's something that happens to you. You fall in love, kind of like you trip over a rock, right? You just, you just kind of fall into it. Uh, and it sounds right, and it sounds romantic, and it sounds fun. I mean, who doesn't want to fall into deep feelings of affection? But see, there's a dark underbelly to that romantic definition of love because what happens when those emotions go away? Are you with me, friends? What happens when, when all of that feeling, those butterflies, that ooey-gooey, I could stay up and talk to you for hours goes to, hey, I'm just going to go to bed, like, you just keep, you know, whatever, take care of the kid. Like, what happens then? Do you fall out of love just like you fell into love? I mean, if you're, if you're dating, it's no big deal. You just break up and go on to the next guy, right, or the next girl, which is why we told our kids, you're not going to date until you're 16. You're just not going to do it because we're not going to allow you to train yourself to fall in love, break up, fall back in love, break up, we're training our kids how to, how to be divorced. We're training our children. We're giving them permission to be in love and fall out. And they never told anybody, I love you. And I, I know what it is until they found the one. And then they understood what love is. And again, you tell this to young people and they're like, La, 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 la. They don't, they don't like that. But in reality, come on, older people in the room. Am I telling the truth or not? It's real. It's real. There's a love there. And if we're married and we fall out of love, are we going to follow the same you know, percentages and just kind of say, I deserve to be happy and I just don't, I, I break up. I, I, I want to I go for someone else. Love can be complicated if it's only defined by this wash of emotions. We can have love between friends. I know guys who will drop anything to go help his buddy. They'll drop anything. And they won't say it, but what it is, 
is love. I mean, it's a, it's a brotherly love. There are girls who have their besties, you know what I mean? Like they are best friends until one of them says something or does something, until, you know, and then it's like, you know, you might as well just rot in the grave you come from, whatever, I don't know. I'm amazed, and listen, this is something that I, honestly, when we moved here, um, so our church is 13, so 15 years ago when we moved here, I was amazed at how many people I talked to at football games or just encountering with people who are still carrying grudges from high school. I'm like, how old are you? You're 52 years old and you're still thinking about what went down in high school? Well, they never changed. Neither of you. See, love is finicky when you think about that. Now, we need a definition of love that will stand the frontal assault of life. And we get that redefinition from the scriptures. John was one of Jesus' disciples, and he spent three years of his life following the Messiah. All of the, out of all of the disciples, John was the youngest one. He was the one that saw most things. There are, you know, they call it the harmony of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're same, similar stories in all of them. But there are stories found in John that you won't find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus turning water to wine, not found in the others. Not found in the others. There are some things. Uh, John actually had a first-hand account of Jesus on the cross. All the other disciples fled. John was one of the only ones who died of natural causes. Why? Well, because he, and, and he's the only one that referred to himself this way, as the one whom Jesus loved. John had a deep understanding of what love is. He offers a blatant, clear-cut definition of love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, he says, this, this is love, guys. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I'll never forget the first time that I read that scripture, you know, that, that even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we have people falling out of love with each other for a lot less reasons than that. Even when you and I didn't deserve it, even when we were making off-color jokes and using his name in vain, Christ died for us. And paid the price for our salvation and really our eternity. See, this kind of love is black and white. It's Jesus on the cross. Don't look at Hollywood for how to define love. Look at a Savior bleeding and dying and giving himself for people and for a world who may or may not love him back. That's love. Amen, everyone? Does that sound... Anything like a deep feelings of affection? Now, don't get me wrong. That kind of a feeling can come, especially if you're talking about your husband or your wife. Um, but notice how John uses the word love as both a noun and a verb. He says, this love. And then he talks about that he loved us with. See, we have to understand that love is a noun and a verb. When it comes to love the noun, you're in the passenger seat. You're waiting for things to happen to you. But with love the verb, you're at the will. Your role is active. It's something you do when you love. You're, you're the one involved here. It's, it's action. Love the noun is an emotion, but love the verb is an action. Love the noun isn't bad. There's nothing wrong with feelings of affection. The whole book of the Song of Solomon is, is that in a nutshell. And listen, if you're in love, enjoy it. Enjoy every piece of it. 
If you have those romantic feelings, those are a gift from God. He intended us to feel that way. But at its root, love, the noun, can be selfish. What we're really saying is, I like the way I feel when I'm around you. Are you with me, friends? What we're saying is, you make me feel good. You make me happy. You bring me pleasure or joy. And that's not all bad, but you don't have to be a psychologist to see the danger linked to that. Love the verb is a whole other story. At its core, this type of love is defined by the picture of Jesus on the cross in its self-giving. Over and over again, the authors of the Bible point to Jesus' death on the cross as an act of self-giving love. And believe it or not, Jesus' death becomes the model that is used on how a husband is supposed to love a wife. Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's love. It's unconditional. It's on your good days and on your bad days. It's when I'm short with you, but yet it's also when I bring you flowers or I send you a text and in the middle of the day just because I'm thinking about you. That's love. That's why love is a command by God. You cannot command emotions. You can only command action. Are you with me, friends? You cannot command a wash of emotions, but you can command actions. And that's why God does not command you to have deep feelings of affection for each other. He commands us to love people, and not just your spouse, not just your kids, not just your really close friends who you just happen to really like being around. He commands us to love everybody like that. All that to say, this word love in scriptures is so much more than just feelings. Are you guys okay? I'm, I'm building something here, and we're going we're to get there in a second. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, this is out of the, uh, the LEV version. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision counts or anything, uh, for anything nor uncircumcision, but faith working through love. According to this scripture, some of us, our faith doesn't even work because there's a love disconnect in our heart. The New Testament commandment is to love. John chapter 13, verse 34, out of the living, it says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. So we've heard about the Ten Commandments, right? Charlton Heston coming down the mountain, Moses... There's only like five people in here who understand that reference. Yeah, all right, one, two, three, four, five. See, that's it, that's it, that's it. Everybody else is like, who's Charlton Heston? Isn't he the, uh, the, the what is it, the rifle? Never mind, moving right along. <clears throat> so, but Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, right? And people live by the Ten Commandments. Jesus in, in John chapter 13 says, hey guys, I'm just giving you a new commandment. Like those 10, those are great, you should do them. But honestly, just love each other. Just love each other. If you love each other, thou shalt not commit murder. If you love each other, you won't steal from them. If you love God, you won't take his name in vain. So Jesus, I love it, kind of puts the cookies on the bottom shelf for us, right? He says a new commandment, just love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another, look at this, will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not your love for your spouse, not your love for your kids or your friend, like people. The NIV says it this way, by this, what? Love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is saying the number one way people will know that you belong to him is our love for people. 
When we think of Christians, we're supposed to think of a group of people who just loves everybody, right? I mean, that's what we're supposed to think, a bunch of people who just love people. it's, It's sadly not that way. In fact, there was a, a meme recently that, and I, th- I think we have it. It's like, here we are worshiping God. Uh, the Sunday lunch crowd, 30 minutes before verbally assaulting the 18-year-old waitress. Sad but true. 30 minutes before, we're in church with our hands. God, I love you. I'm available. I'm available until you don't get my order right. And then you, who, whoa, right? Are you with me? Christians are supposed to be the ones who actually walk in love. We have Christians bashing other Christians. If I read another post about how a pastor is wrong about one thing that they did, or because they didn't do this, I'm going to throw up. They're just, they're just out there trying to do their best. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's. Well, they should be. Are you? Is this, is this okay, friends? Love. I feel like the devil is like, fellas, we can go somewhere else because they're just going to destroy themselves. They're just going to, let's go, we'll go, we'll go concentrate our efforts on a different continent because these Christians, they're just imploding on each other. Are you with me, friends? It ought not be that way. And it's not the way Christ intended us to live. Um, I have found that people who are not living for a cause become the biggest critics of those who are. In fact, I like to say it this way. People who aren't doing anything in life are often the most critical of the ones who are. That's been my experience. We, we, we've found this out in, in youth ministry. 16 years we worked with teenagers. You can, have a, you can have a group of, you know, young people, 14, 15, 16-year-old, and I mean it is just internal drama to the max. Stupid stuff. You can take those same 14, 15, and 16-year-old kids on a missions trip. And they see the very power of God heal someone's blinded eyes. You see them act out a performance in a square in, you know, Pacayo, Peru. And all of a sudden... Thousands of people lift their hands to get saved. And you'll see that same 14-year-old who was spreading gossip all of a sudden have a reason to live, come home and want to change their school. They come home and all the stuff that was just seemed so important to them before the missions trip just became so petty when it comes to eternity. Well, why is that? Because people, people who aren't doing anything in life, anything of value, let me say it that way, anything of kingdom value, are often the most critical of those who are. You know, Christians are to thank for the first modern day hospital that we have. It was Christians who ran into battlefields and drug wounded off of the field and tried to nurse their wounds. It was Christians who when plagues would ravage continents, it was Christians who just could not let people just suffer and at their own risk went and helped tend to people who were suffering and even burying people who died from the plagues when everybody else was so scared of the plague. In fact, you've heard me tell the story of John G. Lake and the bubonic plague, but literally was trying to get into an area of, of that nation where the bubonic plague was running rampant. And there was a, there was a, a signature thing about the plague. When, when the person died, there was a foam that, that came out of their, their mouth. It was like a black foam. That's how you could tell it was the plague. Again, they didn't have modern science or technology or medical experience that we do today. And so 
Christians were the ones running into some of these places. And healthcare professionals were not letting people in because you're just going to get it. And John G. Lake says, I've got a mandate from God. I'm to come in here and I'm to heal these people. And literally walked over to a corpse, swiped that foam off of its mouth, stuck it under a microphone which was teeming with the plague. And they looked through that microscope and that plague, those, those little whatever bacteria, died on the man's hand. They let him in. And it started a healing revival in that part of the world. Christians. Christians. Believers are the ones running to the hurting, not talking about them. Christians are the ones running into the battlefield, not running from it. All the way throughout history, it's been believers are the ones that are on the forefront of the battleground. We have Christians to thank for modern-day foster care. The first orphanage was founded by the church in the 4th century because people were having babies and leaving them on the sidewalk. And it was Christians who came up and picked these babies up and nursed them and, and, and gave them life. Christians were the ones to thank for that. Listen, don't keep your head stuck in media and just see all the stuff that the church is doing wrong. That is smoke and mirrors, friends. We are the ones that God called to run into the fire. We're the ones that God called to run into the battlefield. I just can't be around those people. You were those people before Jesus found you. Are you with me, friends? This is our mandate. How did we go from that to verbally assaulting waitresses? We lost our love. We lost our love, our purpose. Not noun, love, verb, action. It's love that causes one hope to be on the ground in Ukraine right now, busing kids out of an orphanage that is actively being shelled. That's, it's love. Love is a big deal. This is why Mark 11 says, when you pray, forgive. 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 I'm going to take a little bit of a side journey here for just a second because I felt the prompting of the Lord before service to do this. You know that scripture that says faith works by love? There are people who are not hearing from God. There are people who are not getting your prayers answered. There are people who God has healed you from serious things, but it's come back on you. And you don't understand why. I, don't, I just don't understand why. It's because of this scripture right here. There are people who you have allowed a root of bitterness to get inside your heart and your faith is disconnected because of an offense. You're mad. And that is that that root of bitterness is stopping the presence of God from moving and your faith from working because your faith works through love. This is why Jesus is saying, hey, 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 before you come into my throne room, you better deal with that. You better deal with that. Yeah, but they deserve. No, no. I'm not saying what they did was right. I'm saying if you don't deal with what's going on right here, What's going on right here is going to be disconnected. We've prayed for people and seen them healed from cancer. We've seen them healed from like growths on their body. We've prayed for, for, for uh, parents who wanted to have children, who couldn't have children to become pregnant. And they've had children. We've prayed for them. And some of the same people that we prayed for 
will go years healed. And out of nowhere, something will come back up on the inside of them, and it's the very same thing. And their first question, or their first statement is, well, I guess I didn't, I guess it, I guess it didn't work. You went years, years healed from that. Mark my words, I've been doing this a long time, friends. If we can spend time with them and we can begin tracing it somewhere in there, and it'll come out in their conversation, deep down inside there is offense and there's anger. There's a root of bitterness that you that we should have grown through by now. Well, you don't know what they did or said. I understand that. But until you deal with that, you will deal with this. You can't, you don't know. Faith works through or by love. Are you with me, friends? Is this a big deal? Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> this is why a husband and wife need to forgive because their faith works by love. In fact, there's a scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Look at this. So that nothing will what? Hinder your prayers. Whatever's going on inside of here could be what's hindering your prayers. Jesus says, hey, 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 before you come in, and especially before you receive communion, before you, before you take the Lord's Supper, you de deal with that. Deal with that. But listen, friends, the minute you do, it's like, it's like plugging in an extension cord. We have, this, we have this row of lights that go down to our dock. It's those real fine little outdoor garden lights. And I clicked them on the other day, and about, they go about halfway, and then the rest of the way down in the dock, they're not there. They're just like, oh, man, I blew out the whole string. Well, after closer investigation, I had two strings put together. One string came unplugged. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, we're going to have to get new ones, or I'm going to have to change all the balls. This is going to be work. It's going to be work. Got my ladder out, went up to do that, and I was like, wait. It's the same way. You can just deal with that one thing in your heart or things in your heart. You can let that go. It, the connection is made and whatever you're praying for lights up. Is this helping anyone? What, do we, what does this have to do with the harvest? I have no idea, but somebody needed to hear that today. Somebody needed to hear that today. The Bible says... By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. People need to feel and see our love in action. That's why first Saturday, this coming first Saturday, I'm asking all the life groups, just go find a serve project. Just go find a serve project. In fact, on Friday, we're doing these little challenges right now. If you have a Your Place Church t-shirt or shirt of some sort, this Friday, just wear it in the community. I don't care if it's the I got baptized shirt, just wear it. Serve shirt, just wear it. Just wear it in the community and do some kind of a random act of kindness. Carry someone's groceries to their car, right? Just, just do something. It could, it could be anything. Leave a nice tip at a restaurant. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Go buy a $50 steak and leave a $2 tip. Buy something from a vending machine for someone at work. Just do something while wearing your... Don't cut people off in traffic, though. Give them sign language. No, I don't want to do any of that. None of that. You're wearing your shirt. Don't do any of that. But this is why I'm asking um, our, our life groups to do something. And if your life group's not doing something, just next this week, hey, what are we doing for that first Saturday serve thing? You still have time to put something together. You guys can still do something. 
just, just do something. We're going to go cut the grass for an elderly woman in my neighborhood. Cool. Cool. Whatever. Just do something. Serve with our next generation teams. Like, that's what love is. Love is action. Be a kingdom builder. I, I'm loving to see. I get, I get what's called a key performance indicator report at the end of every week. And it shows me basically all the numbers from the week, right? And it doesn't show me who gave. It just shows me how much came in and to what. And we have kingdom builders lighting up right now. Giving towards global outreach and projects and things going on. What is that? Love. It's love. It's, it's living for a purpose bigger than you. All of these guys that are volunteering, keeping the foster care boutique open on nights or weekends or whenever they need it. What is that? It's love. It's showing up and painting the church and getting it ready for people. What, that doesn't seem like, no, it's love. It's love. It's, it's administering. It's being God's hands and feet. Guys, we have three weeks until Easter. Three weeks until Easter. And the only way that they're ever going to walk through these doors, I can't go reach them. It's got to be you. And you don't have to reach the world. Just reach your ground. Just reach your ground. Amen, everyone. Father, we love you. and We're so thankful. And Father, we recognize that Jesus said it is by this that all people will know that you're my disciples. He was talking about love. He was talking about love. Father, we want to be known as a community of believers who love. And we realize that there's a lot of people out there who are in our spiritual family, Father God, who may not be walking in love. Father, that their mission in life is just to tear down other people, and heaven forbid, but other Christians. God, forgive us. Forgive us for being the ones that cut people off in traffic. Forgive us for being the ones that, that assault verbally people. It doesn't even have to be at the restaurants everywhere. God, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us. And then send us. God, we deal with that heart. And for every person in this room right now, that there is an, a root of bitterness down in you. And that is the reason why you're not hearing from God. That is, the re that is the reason you're not receiving your miracle. If you'll just take two seconds. You, you know what it is because you're thinking about it right now. And just say, Lord, not for them, but for me, I forgive them. They no longer owe me an explanation. They no longer owe me an apology. I'm no longer seeking for restitution for what they did. Lord, I'm leaving that up to you. But for me, I'm dealing with this, God, right now in Jesus' name. Just, just say that prayer. I, I'm dealing with this, Father, right now in Jesus' name. And then just receive that freedom. Just receive that freedom. In fact, heads, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I know I've got to let you go. We've got another service. But just, I don't want to rush the spirit of the Lord. If you're in the room today, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, no one's looking around. I'm, I'm talking to you, and it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit talking to you on this love issue. There's an offense there. Someone said or did something to you or about you, and you can't seem to let it go. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come forward. I believe what can happen can happen very supernaturally right there at your seat between you and your heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. But if I'm talking to you today, put your hand up and put it right back down. Amen. All over the room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Thank you. Why do I have to raise my hand? It does something on the inside of you. You're acknowledging it. When you lifted your hand, you're pointing right to it, and there's a, there's a, a Holy Ghost light shown on that area of your life, and he's, 
He's getting ready to heal that place inside of you right here, right now. Anybody else, before we change the direction, if that's you, just put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Anybody else? Thanks. Thanks. You can put your hands down. They said something or did something. Thanks. Anybody else? They said something. Thank you. Come on, this is a holy moment, guys. They said something or did something. Hands up, hands down. You do not want to miss out. Thank you. Thank you. You do not want to miss out. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Holy Spirit, we ask you right now for every hand that was raised, every heart that's laid open before you, God, that you would do a surgical work on the inside of us that only you can do. You go in and you get to the very root of that bitterness. And Father, you cut it down with the acts of forgiveness. We release you. Whoever that is, whatever they did to to you, just say it, I release you. I release you. It's like forgiving a debt at a bank. You technically still owe it, but they're just saying you don't have to pay it back anymore. I, I, I forgive you. I release you. I release you. You don't have to say it to them. Some of you, you probably shouldn't. Just say it in your heart between you and your Heavenly Father. I, I release you from anything you owe me. And now, Father, I pray for every single person in this room who's been asking for direction. But because of this bitterness or offense that's created a wall, Father, I ask you for, for that, that reconnection of between them and your voice. Father, speak to them in a way that they've never heard you before. Father, whatever the disconnect has been between them and their healing, Father, I thank you for moving right now in their bodies in Jesus' name. Father, the, the, the mental clarity, Father, they just seem to be walking around in a fog. And it's because they've been walking around in unforgiveness. Lord, let that mental clarity just come back. Let that fall clear in Jesus' name for those that have had sleepless nights tossing and turning. Peace be on you in Jesus' name. Rest. Rest. For those that there's relationship tension going on between them and their spouse had nothing to do with them. Had everything to do with this offense. Father, I thank you that with forgiveness comes tenderness, comes peace, comes restoration. In Jesus' name, be free. Be free. Be free. Be free. Be free free in Jesus' name.